Okay, let's be honest. Do you ever look around the sanctuary right before the bell rings and service starts and think, are we going to make it? I mean, even 10 minutes after the bell rings, it can look pretty bleak some Sunday mornings. It's, it's okay to be honest about this. If we are just looking at pure numbers, it is a wonder that we're still here. Okay, just being honest, even at our best, there's not a whole lot to work with here. I'm including myself in this assessment. I'm not, this is including me. I will be honest. For most of the 20 plus years that I have been here, there have been many a Sunday when I have walked through that side door, seen a lot of pew because it's not blocked by any bodies sitting in the pews and thought to myself, wow, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> wow. Especially those, those late Summer Sundays. Yeah? <laughs> yes, we're laughing now because you know some of those days you can walk in and think, are they all going to come back in fall? Please? And there have been some Sundays where I've walked in and thought, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the year that nobody comes back in the fall and we close up shop. I need to add, though, I need to add, even on those Sundays. By the end of the service, I'm always back to okay, taking deep breaths. I realize God is still God. God is with us. And because God is with us, we're going to be okay. Something happened very significant this spring for me. On some particular Sunday, I don't, I honestly can't remember what Sunday it was because at the time I did not realize how significant it was going to be. But I walked through that side door, walked up to the chancel, took my normal spot on the pew up there, looked out at the literal, literally probably one handful of people uh, in the pews, and then I heard a voice, and it said, it is enough. That was it. It is enough. And I had this overwhelming sense of peace. It is enough. We are enough for God to do whatever God wants to do through us. No matter what the number, literally no matter what the number of us. And I have had that same sense of deep peace every time we've gathered since then no matter how many people are here or how many people are not here, depending on how you'd like to count. It is enough. We aren't much to work with. But with Christ at the center of who we are, we are enough. And the greater truth is, without Christ at the center, no church is much to work with. But with Christ at the center, any church is enough. Look at the pathetic group of 
human beings that Jesus brought together to start with. First of all, there were only a dozen of them, not even a baker's dozen. There were a dozen of them that were the core of the church, 12 persons. And one of those 12 didn't even make it past the first round. Luke acknowledges this right from the beginning. Verse 16, he's coming to the end of the list of the 12, and he gets to Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. We know the story. He did betray Jesus, and he felt so guilty for what he had done, he killed himself before Jesus resurrected, was resurrected to new life. So Judas didn't even make it past the first round. And the other 11, it wasn't like they were worth a whole lot. Peter was all over the map emotionally. Andrew was his brother. Now, right there, we have an issue. Jesus brought together two brothers to be part of 12 people, a small group to work with. And in fact, they weren't the only brothers. James and John are also brothers. Two sets of brothers out of 12 people total does not make for smooth sailing. I have brothers. I can vouch for that. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a traitor to his own people. He worked for the oppressive foreign rulers of Rome, extracting money from his own people. And that becomes even more of an issue when Jesus chooses Simon the Zealot. Zealots were a murderous, literally murderous, political, fanatical group fighting the oppressive foreign rulers, Rome, and anyone who worked for them. Matthew. Jesus has Matthew, a tax collector, and Simon the Zealot together as part of the Twelve. That is like Jesus taking an Al-Qaeda or ISIS fighter and then recruiting somebody who is an Iraqi citizen who works on the base, uh, the U.S. Army base. Let's work together. And then you throw in Thomas, the skeptic, and then there's this handful of guys that we know nothing about. They were so nobody that even though they were some of the the original apostles, we don't even know anything about them other than their name, and even those aren't consistent. It's different in one set of names and another. They were so, so much nobodies that even the gospel writers didn't get them right. Seriously, it would take a lot of work to choose any group of 12 adults less qualified than this group of 12, that Jesus chose to use to change the world for the better. And this was after... Jesus had spent all night in prayer trying to make this decision. He, the, the William Marshall, uh, or I mean Howard Marshall, one of the Scottish uh, authors writing on this, he notes that, that word, the Greek word that's used for all night uh, is, is used of a vigil. 
and that it, it uh, stresses the, the solemnity of the occasion. And then another writer pointed out that it's the only time in all of the New Testament, Testament that there is an all-night prayer vigil that is mentioned. So Jesus goes into deep, solemn prayer, spends the whole night in prayer before God on this decision of the 12 to choose, and he comes up with this group. If Jesus came up with this group, who, after a prayer vigil all night in communion with God, who are we to think that our church is going to be perfect? The dozen people that Jesus chose to be the foundation of a worldwide revolution were almost nothing to work with. But this was always Jesus's pattern, or God's pattern, excuse me, God's pattern. To get God's whole plan for blessing the entire world started, God chose a pathetic old couple. You heard it. He comes to Abraham, says, "Ah, uh, yeah, rename your wife. Don't stop calling her Sarai. Call, start calling her Sarah because I'm going to bless her with a child. And I love the honesty. Abraham falls. It says he falls on his face laughing. It is so absurd. What, Jesus, what God is saying to them. You're going to bless the world through us. A hundred-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman who has not had any children since the, before this time. He literally laughs openly to God. And yet, within a year, he comes back and Sarah has given birth to a son, Isaac. Even after Jesus rose from the dead, and the church was empowered with the Holy Spirit of God, most gatherings of churches, of Christians, were small enough that they fit into a single home whenever they got together to worship. House churches was essentially what the early churches all were. And they were not impressive people. The gathering at Corinth, uh, the gatherings at Corinth that Paul writes to is fairly indicative of all the church gatherings. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best. Not many influential, not many from high society families. It's obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. Historically and currently, the vast majority of gatherings of Christians, the vast majority over time and even still today, are small and unimpressive. In other words, almost nothing to work with. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, 
Without Christ, no church. No church is much to work with, no matter how many members, no matter who those members are. Every congregation of Christians, including its staff, is made up of human beings. And human beings, every one of us, are tragically, deeply flawed. Every one of us. If we rely on human beings for health and wholeness in the church, we are setting ourselves up and others to be hurt. A few years ago, I was uh, having coffee with a friend of mine who I hadn't seen since college. And he told me that he had become a Christian uh, primarily because of this incredible relationship that he had had with an associate pastor at uh, this big, uh, very dynamic church. Not in Seattle, so it wasn't Mars Hill or any of those ones that uh, have fallen apart. Um, But this was a big, dynamic church fantastic reputation, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, multiple services, and he'd uh, gotten to know this associate pastor, became a Christian, all these things. But the story didn't end there. A couple of years on, that associate pastor, that married associate pastor, had an affair with a married member of the congregation. And my friend... <coughs> told me that he basically was so disillusioned about everything that he, at the time I was talking to him, no longer went to any church, not just the one where that had happened, but he wouldn't go to any church and wouldn't even consider himself a Christian. If we rely on human beings... We're in trouble. Human beings are flawed, every one of us. Frederick Buechner, a great author and thankfully Presbyterian, uh, so I can quote him with, with deep pride, brings out the connection between the original 12 human beings and all of us. Buechner writes that the 12 have had pretty bad press over the centuries, and by and large, they seem to have deserved it. On the night of the arrest, for instance, not one of them apparently so much as raised a finger to defend their friend, except Peter, who cut the ear off of one of the high priest's slaves with his sword, which can hardly have made matters anything but worse, and might have led to worse still if Jesus hadn't told him, in effect, to cool it adding that those who live by the sword usually end up dying by the sword, which is a point so close to the heart of his message in general that you'd think they would have gotten it by that point. But, of course, they never seem to have gotten any of his points very well. Or, if and when they did get them, never seem to have lived by them very well which makes them people very much like you, if I may say so, and also, if I may say so, very much like me. That is to say, they were human beings. Jesus made his church out of human beings with more or less the same mixture in them of cowardice 
and guts, of intelligence and stupidity, of selfishness and generosity, of openness of heart and sheer cussedness, as you would be apt to find in any of us. The reason he made his church out of human beings is that human beings were all there was to make it out of. In fact, as far as I know, human beings are all there is to make it out of still. Without Christ at the center of a church, no church is worth what? Is worth much or much to work with. But with Christ at the center of us, any church is enough to work with. Jesus chose 12 pathetic, ordinary human beings with which to start his church and try to change the world, and they did change the world. With the risen Christ present through the empowering Holy Spirit, they changed the world. The awareness of the presence of Christ spread wherever they went and spread the story of Jesus Christ. People were healed, set free, empowered and equipped to experience life in the way that God wants all people to experience life. And then over the course of centuries, this awareness of the presence of Christ has continued to spread around the globe. And by this point in history, billions have been healed, have been set free, have been empowered and in equipped to experience life the way God desires that all people should experience life. And the vast majority of the gatherings of Christians, of Christ's followers, who have done that work, those gatherings have been small and unimpressive. They have been not much to work with. But Christ has been at the center Look at us. We aren't much to work with. And in the 22 years that I have been here, we never have been. This has been pretty much it for the 22 years that I've been here. And yet, hundreds of senior citizens have had a good full meal and wonderful community and conversation every Friday for 25 years. Dozens of families had a warm place to sleep and meals to be fed and eat one week, a quarter, for years when we worked for Interfaith Hospitality Network. Hundreds of kids who otherwise would have gone hungry had food to eat on weekends. And still there are that still that program goes on even without our help anymore. But we initiated that. Queen Anne Presbyterian Church. And continuing, dozens and dozens of homeless women have hygiene care every month because of the packs that we put together. And in addition to all of that, there are dozens and dozens of us who have a community of people to gather with, who know us and care for us. We have people with whom we can grieve 
and laugh and be sick and be healed. We have a place where we can come every Sunday to be reminded of Christ's presence. And it's because we have Christ's presence with us that all these things have been possible. Listen again to what Paul wrote and writes, in a sense, to all of us. Take a good look at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among us and not many influential, not many high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks? So uh, chose those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by by blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate, a fresh start, everything that we have comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. And that's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. With Christ at the center, without Christ, excuse me, without Christ at the center, no church is worth much. But with Christ at the center, any church is enough for Christ to work with. Even us. Thanks be to God.